Episode 6, The Middle Men. I'm Caleb Woodbridge. I'm Gwen Williams. And I'm BG Bell. So we're into the second half of the series of uh, Torchwood. And after the death of Vera Jarez last week, we've now got the aftermath of that. Uh, Does it deliver? Yeah, I think so. We got a lot of action in here. Um, I don't think the emotions were overplayed from her death, which I was quite grateful for. Yeah, and no, I not agree with you there. They, they they could have tipped over into melodrama quite easily, yeah. but uh, but no, they they handle Rex's reaction and Esther's as well to some extent quite well. Mm-hmm. And it was good to see that this was a direct continuation of last week's episode. I think Miracle Day has suffered from a slight problem of just being an episodic. Tale, which is unusual for a, a ten-episode, um, what should be a serial. Mm. But no, this this did feel. I, I think you hit the nail quite uh, squarely on the head in your um, review on the blog when you said that it felt like the second part of a two-part story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they fit very well together. Yeah, I, I, I did feel it worked well, and I thought um, episode five was probably the best episode so, so far, except perhaps for the first one. Uh, but this maintains the high high standard, uh, certainly uh, carrying on that sense of momentum that had uh, stalled somewhat in the intervening episodes. Yeah, I, th- I do think the pace is still fairly mm. laid back for all of that. Yes, they did manage to resolve an awful lot of what had been set up previously, but they're still not telling us much more than we already yes. know. Uh, the things that we found out now that all these people in charge are, in fact, middlemen, where the episode takes its title from, mm. uh, had already been implied, really, because we'd seen, um, was it Wayne Knight, Vincent Knight, uh, as the CIA yeah. boss in episode two, yeah. who was effectively a middleman. We've seen others in similar positions mm-hmm. taking orders from you know, mysterious <laughs> mobile phones well, that's and kind computers. Of an... Yeah. Well, I, I, I thought this um, worked better because it, uh, it felt like it was subverting the whole evil corporation trope a bit mm-hmm. uh, because uh, you did get, uh, I'd got certainly got the impression that it had turned out to be the families would be running Vicor, whoever they are, and they'd been the ones just using it as some part of pharmaceutical conspiracy but it does seem to be uh, suggesting it's not quite that simple. But I would agree that uh, considering where we are in the series, uh, answers are remarkably lacking, and I think there's a lack of a... uh, something of a lack of tension, because we don't really know what we're up against yet. Yeah, that's true. There's been... I would say as well, there's been this continuing theme of I was following orders as mm. well, which we kind of get from the middlemen now. Or, or, you know, I don't know what's going on. I'm just doing what has to be done. Because mm. we got that from the doctor in the last episode as yes. well. Yeah, mm. So there's kind of that. I don't, that's very subtle, but I think they're they're kind of picking up on that kind of, you know, it's not mm. my fault. I'm just... Yeah. yeah. And I think they explored that quite well in uh, this episode. There's... I thought the Gwen's scenes with uh, the young doctor uh, were, were quite good mm. in 
in that. So, so yeah, they're doing some interesting uh, things with it, although uh, it would be nice to <laughs> get <laughs> yeah, some more yeah. answers. I can't help thinking as well that the series might have gained a little more momentum and a little more focus had it had a villain figure, even if they mm. weren't uh, the person who was behind the whole conspiracy and they were revealed as a middleman. Yeah. Um, just someone that we had mm. uh, just as a focus for... Yeah, yeah. Um, a bit of tension, name. yeah, a bit of conflict between them and Torchwood. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but as I say, um, yeah, all in all, I, I do think yeah. the episode managed to maintain last week's standards. And um, and I guess on the note of not having a a villain figure, we don't have Oswald and Jilly in this episode mm, significantly, yeah. although their storylines kind of been in parallel to. Torchwood and only occasionally really intersected uh, with yeah, it. That's true. That's true. And it, it says quite a lot that I think you and I both didn't actually miss <laughs> them this week, particularly because mm. there was enough going on with the main characters. Yeah. Which which is a promising sign. Yeah, I think when you have less subplots, that really helps to propel the motion of the and the action. Yes. And I think that mm. that's probably why we perceive this episode as actually occurring faster because there weren't those subplots to kind of distract you. If you're listening along at home, press play now. So just continuing what we were talking about earlier, uh, well, just a moment ago, um, the fact that Oswald Danes and Jilly aren't in this episode and that they, their mm. storyline has been running parallel to Torchwoods in previous weeks. Uh, part of the problem that I've had up until this point is the fact that their storylines have always been more interesting than Torchwoods. Mm-hmm. Um, and all through the Torchwood sequences, I've been waiting to get back to Oswald and Jilly. So the fact that I haven't missed them at all this week is uh, is really quite a bonus. Yeah. 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 Um, I, th- I think it has uh, kept uh, a strength of focus uh, in this story, mm. uh, which is contributed to to the sense of drama. Well, interestingly, not written by Jane Espenson. Yeah, yeah, this was written by oh, what, what, John, whose name I John Sibben. It? it might well be. We'll see. The X Files guy, I think. Oh, he's, oh right, yeah. the X Files. That, that explains this beginning, then. Yes. Because <laughs> this is a very X Files opening. <laughs> it is, isn't it? And if you're going to stick a human face on Firecourt, who better than Ghostbusters Ernie Hudson? <laughs> 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 Terrifying. Who probably does need the work, but gosh darn it, it's good to see him back. <laughs> and he doesn't look a day older. No, he's. We, we, we were, um, Gwen and I were discussing this briefly before we started recording. Of the four Ghostbusters, he really <laughs> does seem to have, uh, to have aged far better than any of the rest. Harold Reynolds looks more like the state of Marshmallow Man now than he, than he once been. <laughs> and here we've got the 45 Club, the people. I quite like the from... name. Yeah. Um, yet another sort of little cult or subgroup, mm. subculture that's uh, sprung up in the wake of the miracle. Uh, is it ever explained why they think jumping from the 45th floor is sufficient to well, actually not, render them true the 45th, dead? because it's 45th and above, oh, they 45th say. and above. But uh, I guess it just sounds... It, it's reminiscent of the 27 Club, you know, where all the rockers kind of die when they're 27. Ah, yes. That's what I was thinking that we're referencing. That's what the cool kids are doing. Uh, see, I hadn't realised there was a 27 Club until Amy Winehouse oh. died. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and here we have um, this head of Vicor uh, seemingly not knowing what's going on, which is interesting. Yes, yeah, watching his own investigation. That is a nice twist on things that have been going on this far. Mm. And our first glimpse of their uh, Shanghai Yeah, the Shanghai branch. mystery. I think it's quite interesting that uh, Pycor, presumably an all-knowing entity, is allowing him to conduct these um, yes. mysterious investigations on the side. Obviously not monitoring their phone calls particularly closely. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like this little parallel, uh, just these shots through the office windows of LA and Shanghai lovely, and the different yeah. time zones. And... Mm. Uh, Smoking indoors, obviously not illegal in Shanghai. <laughs> <laughs> Even at a healthcare company. <laughs> well, in Shanghai, like going outside is like smoking. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not entirely <laughs> convincing as uh, no. Uh, no, Shanghai no. here. Just stick a load of lanterns up. That's a, that says what does that say? Yes. And, oh, bonsai, food. and bonsai trees <laughs> and random tubs of bamboo, which is exactly what you want to keep going <laughs> dark and back at it. <laughs> so charming. Mm. Although I do think the um, city skyline as seen through the office window is fairly well done. Yeah. It's only when you actually get down to street level that uh, yeah. it starts to look like, very much like a Hollywood backlot. Looks a lot like some strange parts of Philadelphia. So. <laughs> it could be New York. Yeah, it could be New York. Age, couldn't it? That's, it's too big to be New York, I think, <laughs> alleyway-wise. <laughs> it's odd, though. Yeah. I, I think Cardiff has done a better job of doubling for places like New York in yeah. Doctor Who than Los Angeles does doubling for Shanghai. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. I I was in uh, Shanghai. I went to China for a couple yeah. of weeks on my uh, university course and we uh, began and ended a tr- trip there. So went down some, uh, well, not not exactly alleyways. Yeah. but I hope you took them. your science yeah. sidearm so that you could gain entry <laughs> to secure our areas because that's... <laughs> Of course. Apparently, apparently what business can carry. <laughs> yeah, with the silencer on it as well. Which quite impressive. Well, very X-Files. It's also day now there. So. Well, <laughs> yes. Some time has passed. Some time has. That's a lovely shot. Yeah. And I get a very shocking and just brilliant end to a very effective pre-credit sequence. Sadly, the rest of the episode just doesn't live up to it because it seems to be only partially connected to what mm. goes on subsequently. Yeah, I, well, I, yeah, I wouldn't say that the episode doesn't live up to it, but it is wholly disconnected from it. Yes, yeah. it doesn't have the same punch. Shock. It doesn't yeah. have that same sense of danger. In it, mm. Yeah, it's definitely a shock factor. Of, they yeah, of secrets threatening to be revealed. Yeah. But then we do get to blow up stuff later. So. We do, we do. <laughs> but we don't see any more of Shanghai That's this true. episode, which is That's probably a good thing, quite honestly. Mm. <laughs> as long as it's not alleyways. Oh, there's the smoke. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that struck me about Shanghai when I was there is just the sense of scale in terms of uh, a cityscape. Uh, it's uh, by far and away just the most... Uh, if anything qualifies for the term metropolis, it's <laughs> Shanghai, just uh, tower blocks and high-rise buildings stretching out for, over the, such vast One of the world, one of the five largest cities in the world, mm-hmm. I think, is that right? Yeah, and just the 
different levels, like um, the flyover uh, into the city mm. that we drove in the um, in from uh, the airport, and then just going uh, round and down and down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's quite a experience. Oh, just there was like them. He was looking at his pill bottle, which has uh, Vera Juarez's name no, on it. That was the most. Yeah. I thought that was really lovely because he's not overly emotional, but he's still connected to what it. Yeah, happened. that that does far more, uh, I think, than all the yeah you know, tears. Yeah, grinding of teeth and tears and rending of clothes uh, can ever do, which is what um, Russell T. Davis has been known to fall into on occasions. Not often, it must be said. Yeah. I mean, he's still very much in danger as well, and I think he realises that, so there's yeah. probably shock is kind of... Although he appears to have a clear view of the rest of the compound from inside <laughs> the module, which... Yeah, just sitting there. ...is odd, because I thought the whole idea was that they were kept separate and out of sight. Yes, that is quite weird. But this is... I, I did like this scene simply because... Uh, for a start, it goes back to the sort of post-apocalyptic candy cam that was mm. first introduced in Children of Earth and that we saw mm. in the Next Time trailer uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, uh, which interestingly wasn't uh, footage from the next from the episode, episode at yeah. all, or anything we've seen since. Uh, but it does put us there on the ground mm. in a slightly more direct and make, um, sense and makes us feel more exposed. Um, and you're right, it does heighten that sense of danger and exposure that Rex is undergoing. Yeah. But... His delivery to camera, it's a statement of intent. He's now fully identifying himself as a member of Torchwood. Yeah. Mm. And he's you know, stating what he's there to do, which mm. yeah. just gives the whole thing a, a sense of purpose, again, which I don't think it quite uh, capitalises on in the way it should. But uh, it's mm. definitely a step in the right direction again. Yeah. yeah. Esther has begun to notice some things going wrong in there where back with uh, Maloney and uh, his squeaky voice assistant called Train. Is it Train yeah. or Radar, okay. as I think of him, because he's suspicious <laughs> of a character from Mashed. But, <laughs> but uh, Mashed, I, Mashed. But. I, th I think it's, um, it is quite nice that uh, what seems to just be a minor supporting character does have his own little development mm. and that yeah. becomes part mm. of the Episode, yes. just uh, having uh, the what could be the smaller characters and also the secretary. Um, you again, I think okay. there's um, some good um, good work just in keeping uh, the supporting characters, giving them a sense of personality and development. Yes. See, that has always been a characteristic of Russell T. Davis's yes. writing. So, I wonder how much of that is his direct influence. Mm. Mm. On the episode, if only he could do the same thing for Esther. <laughs> oh she's trying. Bless her, she's trying. But I'm increasingly convinced that she's only got two settings, and that's perky and weepy. <laughs> so stereotyped, and just it doesn't help that. Again, her first undercover assignment is sitting at a desk and checking her mobile phone every That's few true. minutes. Yeah. Mm. And this scene here, for example, she uh, introduces herself as his new was it his new assistant, his new secretary. She's his liaison, I think. Liaison, she that's says. It. Yeah. Um, and he just sort of shrugs and accepts it. 
despite the fact that he seems to have been on top of everything thus far. Well, um, you'd think he'd question if a liaison just appeared. You kind of get that feeling he has a very cursory understanding of what is actually going on because mm. you know he orders the um, uh, the shutdown, I guess, or the lockdown. That's you know, true. and he just does it. He doesn't actually consider the consequences of yeah. <laughs> what he's doing. To and the I suppose he is still quite—he's still in shock, really, from what he's done. He is, yeah. Happened, so I think it's forgivable because yeah. he just wants her to go away, very clearly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, very clearly here. <laughs> Apparently, he he plays the nearest thing that CSI has to a recurring villain as well. Mm-hmm. The slightly slimy. Um, counterpart to Grissom, who's the head of the the, the night shift or the day shift, I forget which. <laughs> oh, we really do hope that uh, those windows are double glazed because everyone in the office is going <laughs> to. I love how they didn't think to actually like turn the blinds. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, Nothing that at all suspicious going on <laughs> oh, here. <no>. Just, uh, <laughs> So your assistant is crying. <laughs> appears to be saying the word murder over and over again. <laughs> My friend has disappeared. <laughs> it says a lot about Maloney's management style that nobody notices. Yeah. Perhaps he just has his employees in there uh, weeping all the time. <laughs> Coltrane's face is absolutely perfect, though. Yeah, it's great. That's true. I think he's one of my favourite characters from this uh, this episode. Yeah, he's very good. He's one of those characters that you would gladly see more of. Yeah. But I suspect we won't. I was no. kind of hoping he would be kind of uh, recruited by yes. Torchwood. I yes. thought that would have been a really good ending. But I don't know. If you want a foot soldier, you want someone to go in and have adventures and shoot guns and yeah, they and have moral qualms, but actually be quite sensitive and yeah. likable, then this is the guy to go to. He's an army officer. Yeah. That's perfect. Now that they've lost their uh, inside woman into the government. Is um, everybody recruited to work in this um, in this camp? Faintly racist and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> afraid of illegal immigrants because the the fat, <laughs> fat prissy guy who came and interrupted Esther just now is complaining about, about yeah, hiring this is, this illegal immigrants. This might be headquarters in Mexico. Hmm. Okay. I rather enjoyed that part. They're, they make uh, comments about illegal immigrants later in here as well. Yeah. I think. And I think um, Rex makes a comment to camera um, about it only being a matter of time. Oh, that's what they, I was thinking. Be right. Yeah. Before they start, All people we don't like. Ex- yeah, extending it. Although he's not basing that on anything particularly, except perhaps the fact that he found Esther in another. <laughs> Which, yeah, okay, isn't going to inspire an awful lot of confidence. Yeah, a bit in there now. Yes. Mm. <laughs> I can't believe she used her real name. That's still. It's, she panics about that, that later in the episode, in fact. She says, they have my name. Well, whose fault is that, you stupid <laughs> woman? You gave it to them. She can't even think of an alias. It's amazing. But you were able to whip up an entire fake passport and backstory for Gwen when she flew back over the UK. You don't think you could have come up with something for yourself? <laughs> he continues to be the strongest part of this episode, I think. He's it's yeah. just a, a great part. It's fantastically acted. Yeah. And here we are back in Wales at yeah. Cowbridge Overflow Camp. <laughs> I, I um, 
Uh, I bumped into uh, Matt Hill's uh, academic at Cardiff University at the oh, the FI screening last night. But uh, on his Twitter feed, apparently he just bought um, uh, one of the uh, the check-in instructions from the Fycor Cowbridge uh, camp that <laughs> had been put on eBay. Oh, right. <laughs> one of uh, the odd, odd things to. Old eBay purchases hashtag, <laughs> um, but uh, there's uh, going to be a academic conference uh, for Doctor Who in um, for the 50th anniversary. Oh wow! Uh, so for 2013. So. Oh, we'll have to see if we can get our foot in the door. Yes, this will be our the podcast's second academic conference. <laughs> uh, so it's planned for the 22nd and the 23rd. Mm. Um, Subject to uh, not having the BBC um, announce some big gala or <laughs> something <laughs> yeah. at the same time. Uh, otherwise, if they have some big event on uh, at that time, it could be um, the two organisers uh, in a cupboard somewhere wishing they were <laughs> yeah. somewhere else. Somewhere else. <laughs> the scene with oh, Gwen right. is, is good, and the, the doctor just. Uh, well, this is yeah. I was talking about this earlier, but this is this continuing um, theme of I didn't know. I'm just following orders, mm. and she does that quite well. Yeah. Yeah. Eve Miles can always be relied upon to deliver a fantastic performance, yeah. and then mm. well, when does it for her here? Really? Yes, this is it. Well, and the, I think um, points have to be given to to the actress she's acting against as well because they're they're both. They both pitch it perfectly, I think. Yeah. Yeah. This play is very good. It did leave me questioning um, just how readily everyone involved seems Mm. to be accepting this without question, though. The doctors, yeah. It's very odd. I think the writers are doing um, humanity a slight disservice in assuming that (laughs) as soon as things get bad enough, that, Mm. you know, Everyone in the NHS and American health system, or what have you, yeah. will just gladly go along with concentration <laughs> Vera. camps. <laughs> Vera is the only mm. doctor with a conscience yeah. in the entire world. I, I, you do get that impression somewhat. It was her against the world. Yeah, um, I think. I mean, you do have the person turning the blind eye later on, but I think if you had more of a sense that perhaps there were other people objecting, but then uh, being kept quiet mm. uh, then that would help to sell the scenario yes. yeah. um, uh, and Reese, uh, here we've just seen him beginning his episode long habit of creeping around the edges of things he'll be creeping around <laughs> the edges of some fields later on, uh, creeping around the edges of some other buildings and around the edges of some, some trucks <laughs> his, good his, skill, I think. Yeah, his truck driving skills being yeah. put to use here we're back with Captain oh. Jack's little yes. subplot. This is extremely creepy, I have to say. <laughs> yes, Stalker well, Jack. Well, this was good. This this was something of a return to form for Jack as a character because when we were first introduced to him way back in series one of Doctor Who, he was, you know, that charming Lothario who could win his way around anyone and would yeah you, know, you yeah. would find him signing up to people in bars and winning mm. them over. Yeah. Um, so um, this is great because this is this is how charmed Rose, of course, with mm. that dance on top of the invisible spaceship. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, and while I don't think this is quite as classily written as that, it's in the same style. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. after all of the angst and the creeping <laughs> around shadowy corridors and things that he's been doing these past few weeks, it is nice just to see him back in his element. And I think this is Captain Jack's element. Mm. Yeah. Charming people over to his side. Yeah. Yeah. It just occurred to me, I wonder what a tortured episode written by Stephen Moffat would be like. Oh, good grief, can you imagine the amount of sex? <laughs> <laughs> They'd never stop, would they? That's been but, 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 yeah. it, but it would be, f- the, the dialogue would just zing from start to finish. Mm. Yeah, it'd be a great improvement. Mm. That, that, that's been something that's been concerning me for a while, is... is Jack is more of an omnisexual character, mm. but they've made him into a very homosexual character in this Torchwood, is, and this has been really bothered me. Yes, by several other people. James Willits mentioned it in one of his reviews on our blog mm. a couple of weeks ago, so do check that out. But I was reading, I can't remember for life of me, the site, uh, or the chap who'd written um, the review, he brought up the fact that Jack has now just become John Barrowman, essentially. Mm. Um, yeah. it's, it's as though the writer's knowing that John Barrowman is homosexual, have forgotten that Jack is supposed to be more than that. Mm. Yeah, Tom Spilsby, editor of Doctor Who magazine, uh, raised that point on Twitter in mm. discussion. And yeah, it does seem to um, be a slight flattening out of uh, Jack's character. And it also, um, I think one of the points of um, Jack is just that he... Um, it's not that he defies conventional boundaries being a 51st century guy and the whole idea that's suggested by Russell C. Davies that the distinctions between gay and straight and bisexual don't matter by by then. Uh, And I think um, it's quite interesting the whole idea of him then becoming... Uh, a fixed point who doesn't change. There mm. you go. Uh, <laughs> his, uh, his, one of his bits of gay banter. Yeah. Uh, yep. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, cause that sort of goes against the, um, kind of, um, idea that, uh, over time, uh, anything can become, uh, anything that there's no fixed boundaries that everything's open and can change and evolve mm. and so on. Uh, so then when you got the revelation that he eventually becomes the face of Bo, it's sort of reverting to that idea the whole um, time and evolution and change and everything. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's interesting uh, Jack's uh, character uh, sort of um, not so much um, I heard, heard it described uh, not so much as homosexuality so much as pomosexuality <laughs> postmodern yeah. uh, no fixed categories type yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so he's maintaining his ability to make people uncomfortable about sexuality mm. but it's only in, in the homosexual sense yeah. not in this is it. but it's, it's and all of the um, discussions in the media in the run-up to this series starting was uh, will the American public be able to accept That's a gay character thinking. in the lead? And, yeah. And it was it's never too much. It's too much to have omnisexual. Yeah. I was wondering that myself subtly because um, 
it's hard enough to find homosexual characters on American TV. And is it, there is a subtle difference between his treatment of, uh, what's the secretary's name? Is it? Oh, Ron Cowell. Ernie Hudson's secretary. Oh, yes. It's not sexual at all, I found. No, he's charming, but he's not flirting, whereas when he meets the waiter, he immediately starts flirting. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. even though it's a very small exchange, it's there to be funny. There is that shift. Whereas I think um, a couple of years ago, he would have tried to flirt his way into winning uh, the secretary's trust as well. Mm. And would then have gone on to flirt with the waiter as well. Yeah. That'll be something to watch for in the next couple yeah. episodes. Now, this this is an interesting scene. Um, I think, uh, as you said earlier, it's well acted, uh, mm-hmm. yes. but not necessarily uh, as well it, written. No, it's, it's it's one of those scenes that it's basically a necessary info dump. Mm. It's 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 expository, it's exposition. And that's fine, because every drama will need these at some point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the best way to get that across, of course, is in conversation between two or more characters. And so you have Ernie Hudson, who we've already seen conducting his own little uh, bit of research, although he seems to have managed to do more in a single pre-credit sequence than Torchwood necessarily managed over <laughs> several weeks. Um, but now you need to move the plot, I mean, as in the ongoing serial plot as a whole, Forward. You need to give talks with more to work with. Mm. You need to give us, the viewers, more to ponder over. And all we get is a word. Yeah, well, the, the best way to do that would be to have talks would actually investigate things and find things out for themselves, right. but find only partial truths, be told things by other characters, and we're not sure whether they're truths, lies, half truths. This, after all, is what the X Files excelled at for That's years. Yeah. Here, Ernie Hudson simply delivers a load of stuff that he's found out to Jack, and it's Lo and behold, um, another couple of buzzwords, which is another exactly. um, another uh, signature of Rusty Davis's writing, like Bad Wolf, like Torchwood in series two, mm-hmm. Doctor Who, you'll have a word that will come up again and again, or will have some a mysterious significance attached to it, and we won't find out for a little while what it means, mm-hmm. but it will keep cropping up and we'll have to wonder what, yeah. exactly uh, where it feeds into things. And so now, of course, we have the blessing, but it's not put in any sort of particular context. It's just dropped It'll into be. the middle of this conversation, That's and we're told we that it's important, yeah. and that we will have to carry it forward with us into the, you know, the following few episodes. That annoyed me. Yeah, I really, I honestly <laughs> expected him and Jack to start working together by the end of this. Yes, I, I worry that Ernie Hudson is going to be a one-episode wonder. That would be unfortunate. Yeah, I, I, I worry that he's going to um, join the forty-five club. Well, not even that. No, just like the previous guest stars that this series has had, um, like uh, what's her name from Dollhouse from episode from episode two, okay. like Mister Knight, the CIA mm. director, some you know fairly significant guest stars with some good parts, who are in it for an episode and then disappear, mm. and that's it, and they're, they're not bothered with again. I suspect Ernie Hudson is here just to deliver <laughs> this bit of information to it. And that's yeah. his, his job finished, and we're not going to see I, him again. I really expect the intro or him to join the 45 Club, quite honestly. Mm. That's my prediction. It might be that a lot of these characters reappear that's for the true. finale in some capacity. Mm. Mm-hmm. In which case, yeah, fair enough, we'll see how they handle it. But Captain Jack can also disappear. Yeah. I think that's the last we've seen of him. Oh, yeah. 
considering that the thing that annoyed me the most was that we've had you know, three or four weeks in which they could have introduced the concept of the blessing and worked out some significance yeah. and put it into a context for us and actually have the characters work to earn the information. Whereas Jack just sits down in a restaurant, is told it and then takes it away again. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a little bit of a info dump and mm. as you said and uh, they are a necessary evil. It's just finding a interesting way to um present them and putting it in a context where yeah, you feel that um the characters have earned it mm. and that the story has uh earned your attention as the viewer to uh with stuff that's uh, interesting enough to hook you along to yes. give the wadges of information. Yeah. Oh, here's uh, Rex pretending to be a Category 1, I believe. Yeah. Quite creatively. Probably one of his better CIA moves, I think. <laughs> yes. But, um, but this, this I, I, I quite liked, because it was Rex actually making use of his injury, yeah. as opposed to it cropping up occasionally when it's necessary. Mm. to the plot where they just want to remind you that he's supposed to be dead. It does look like it's healing quite significantly. Was there some mention in the previous week's episode of it? Yeah, yeah he's, he's, that he's I'm healing, so yeah. am I category one? Okay. Yeah, I think that's when that was brought up. This stretched it a little bit, though. <laughs> a strange voice on the other end of the walkie-talkie. Yeah, and the whole, the fact that the chap is just He's just left at the uh, the checkpoint at the gate. You know, he's uh, he's just wandered around the corner to investigate mm. strange noise and hasn't come back. Yeah. And nobody else goes looking for him. It's really bad army practice, I think. <laughs> They're clearly the reserves. Continue. <laughs> there you go. The rapid response golf cart is on its way <laughs> to deal with the problem. Continuing the television cliche of knocking somebody over the head who happens to be exactly the same size clothes. <laughs> <laughs> of course. This was not well thought out. Not <laughs> Rex's part. Yeah. A fair question, sir. Where <laughs> am I, and why did I think this was ever going to work? <laughs> Watch too many other TV shows yes. in which you're able yeah. to just knock out one of the guards, steal their yeah. uniform, and run off. It, it does render that whole little sequence rather pointless, though. The whole it does knocking over the barrels, pretending to be a category one, knocking the guy out, bluffing his way through the security gate, only to be, you know, immediately found out yeah, and yeah. handcuffed in a basement or somewhere. Oh, he could yeah. have just been captured trying to escape Norman, but. He was at least trying. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I quite like it because um, it's nice to have to play with that kind of thing, but have it not work. Mm. And it does mean that um, it, it gives you more the sense that when they do try something, it's not necessarily going to succeed. Mm. Yeah, they're not superheroes. Well, we already knew that. Well, there's America's golf cart. Yeah. <laughs> I really wish they had decked that out more. <laughs> Some sparkles like, or something. But like a Macy's Day parade for yep. them to... <laughs> uh, I think it should play music, is it? Like like a 
An ice cream, like, like a little, it does, yeah, but like a little ice cream van or something. I think it should actually play a patriotic tune as it moves yep. from place to place. We got save the queen. That'd be pretty good. <laughs> I think it'd be American though. So it'd be. <laughs> now this is a good scene. I, I do think it's a pity though that you had the whole him pushing the pen in the trailer because yes, it does. Detract from it somewhat if you know what's coming. It does give a whole new meaning to the phrase pen pusher. Oh dear. I see your point. But the build up to it is is wonderfully done. And again, this is entirely down to to this chap's acting. It's quite good, yeah. Yeah. You really do start to feel I think Rex's appeal to. Uh, his uh, trying to get him on board as, uh, oh yeah, we can expose this together. It's a bit of a smarter move than uh, Dr. Harris is, you're going down! Yeah. <laughs> That's a CIA training, Caleb. As soon as you <laughs> let me walk out of here unmolested, I'm going to send you to prison. <laughs> yes. Yeah, not the best move. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why it took Rex so long to figure out that he was the guy that did it. Like the mm. guilt is just like right on the surface. That was the yeah. only unbelievable part to me. I'm like, come on, Rex. CIA Put training. two and come two on. together. <laughs> Maybe that's part of the tension. But it's it, it 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 is quite feasible to expect if this guy really is the top mm-hmm. man he's in charge he isn't just going to be in an office somewhere and he's not actually going to be on the ground getting his hands dirty it will be one of the soldiers or one mm. of the doctors or the paramedics who yeah. put who Vera yeah uh, I, can see that. I always I guess I kind of presumed Rex might have seen them you know at some point you, know, you kind of yeah. think that but well, he, like, he really didn't when you do that whole happened you do raise a good point though because when they when they left the the torch would hide out yeah, they were uh, in a big come. truck. There was, there was a. Yeah. They they did leave with the plan that Vera was going to oh, come. Oh yeah, that's true. And be an official observer and talk to him. Mm. So yeah, perhaps she should have. He should have had a few more suspicions earlier. And also, you had um, uh, Maloney sobbing by the controls. Yeah. And uh, Rex didn't seem to make any effort to like try and locate the controls to see if he could turn off that really uh, bothered me the, mm. um, I mean if he taped her dying yeah uh, you'd have thought he might have tried to see if he could find a way of turning it off not particularly heroic I would say well, here Esther actually takes the initiative I think this is the start of a real upswing for her character mm. in the rest of this episode she actually becomes proactive and try, is trying to investigate things yeah. for herself. Yeah. As opposed to sitting there and waiting for things to happen that she can react to. Well, she's trying to play her stereotype, not be her stereotype, yes. I think, which is kind of nice. That's it. You get the impression in these scenes that she knows her strengths and is playing up to. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's still a terrible bit of footage. It just looks as if he's filmed his fireplace at home. But <laughs> not quite the damning evidence I think he needs to yeah. overturn... But we do get some gore in this scene, so... We do, we do. Which is nice, because it's been quite lacking in uh, gore, I guess. For American TV, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I I do like the fact that um, what appears to be a genuine attempt to get this guy 
on side and convinced to come out and, mm-hmm. and blow the whistle uh, on what's happening is what's driving him deeper and deeper into danger and he just doesn't yes. realise it. Yeah. And again, Maloney's um, reaction, he really is just becoming increasingly desperate yeah. as he realises that somebody yeah, else knows what's well. going on. Yeah, because we realise it as the viewer, so it's it's raising our attention as well yes. onto what's going to happen. Cause that's we it, don't want Rex to keep going yeah. and stop. Because this scene is genuinely tense, which I think yes. it's the series has fallen a little short of up until then. And him just, oh no, what can I do? Yeah. And it's like, what have I got on me? Oh, pen. <laughs> it, it, is, it is a yeah. nasty moment. But... Yeah, really, yeah. Oh yeah, because he's putting, he's, he doesn't even realise the pen's there. He just puts his hand against his heart mm. and then feels the pen. That's quite good. It's not premeditated at no, all. It's no. just mm. what comes down. But it's it, but there's still that's the really chilling sense that now that he has that, even though it's not premeditated, he he is gonna go through with it. Yeah. Yeah, like but Rex is telling him to actually look at him as well, kind of like humanize him, I guess. Yeah, he doesn't make eye contact. That's yeah. the thing. Hmm. He can't stand to look at him. <laughs> Well, he's kind of upset here, I have to say. Yeah. Mm. See, that's what makes it scary. If he's not a malicious, moustache-twirling villain who just wants no. to do away with this person who's, who's who's a threat, he's just really scared. Yeah. The sense of desperation and mm. self-preservation. But absolutely ruthless at the same time. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of confusing what he's trying to do, because Rex clearly isn't going to die. No. So I would have, going on what uh, we've learned from previous episodes, I would have stuck it in his eye. <laughs> yeah. At the risk of sounding really callous, um, and just to you know try to destroy the brain, <laughs> or stuck it in his throat so that he wouldn't actually be able to speak. That's true. Mm. But yeah, again, he's he's obviously not thinking clearly. <laughs> and this this camp full of tents has a very big basement. Amazing. Oh, a smoke. See, this is the sort of um, you know, visual setting that the X Files <laughs> copyright. I remember. It's probably it's the same basement, actually. It probably is. <laughs> oh, no, that would all have been in Vancouver. Oh, that's it? true, yeah. <laughs> oh, it is. Uh, we were watching um, Studio 60 on the ah. Sunset Strip. There's a line in that about uh, Vancouver. Vancouver doesn't even look like Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. It looks like uh, what's, what's the line? It looks like uh, New Orleans, New York, or something like that. So, uh, mm. yeah. But, yeah. But now I remember in the mid '90s when the X Files got big, the first time everything suddenly started trying to look like the X Files. <laughs> uh, so everything had to be done in semi-darkness in a basement somewhere with the heroes carrying flashlights yeah <laughs> oh uh, Lawrence Miles in the sidebar of his blog put a series of screenshots up from the first half of the series of Doctor Who yeah. just various scenes in darkness with uh, characters with torches and yeah. the like with um uh Darkest series ever. Producers admit to uh, astonishing over-literalness. <laughs> Amazing. Oh. Hey, what, what do we think of this fight scene? Because we were discussing it briefly before we mm. started recording. Really. I think you're right about being very messy. Well, the stranglehold is not convincing, I have yeah. to say. 
No, because I would if if you're going to put Esther in a fight, she's obviously not going to be particularly strong or powerful. Yeah. Um, and obviously not particularly experienced either. That's true. Uh, and while I do think that this the stranglehold is a bit of a stretch, I think she manages to choke off his windpipe a little too easily because this guy is big. Yeah, he's yeah. big and he's square and he's heavy. He's going to be able mm. to throw a you know to break out of any hold that she puts puts yeah. into really. You have to be very experienced to be able to do that. Yeah. yeah. But up to that point. I think it was just, it was nicely handled. It mm. was messy, it was scrappy, she was desperate. Um, she, it was, there was eye gouging ahead, pulling yeah. and elbows in soft places. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was, I, I, I was willing to go with that, that was fine. Mm. Yeah. 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 And she does look properly so shaken up. Like I said, she, she yeah, does perky, she does weepy. Um, and she does weepy and perky very well. Yeah. There is a real sense of jeopardy and tension in these scenes, I think it does uh, yeah. successfully. This part is really like, because yeah. I know it's very classic, but it's also really creepy at the yes. same time, because you, you're just waiting for it. You know it's going to happen. You're just hoping it doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, and here it comes. <laughs> Predictably. I'm imagine. I was expecting someone yeah. to come in and save her. Mm. I wasn't expecting Coltrane? this guy to come in and save her. Yeah, I think this was really well done for him. Yeah, it's a nice, nice payoff for his character. Yeah. One or other of them had to be redeemed. At the end, and mm. um, I think it was becoming increasingly obvious that it wasn't going to be him. Yeah. So we do feel really good about the army guy to begin with, because mm. obviously he has a conscience. He's just in this like really awkward situation. Reese creeping around the edges of things. There, oh, there he is. But he just seems to have spent the entire night creeping around, poking his head out from shadows, and looking slightly worried. You'd think that someone would have stopped him and asked him <laughs> questions before this. Classic Torchwood training. Well, he's he's not even a trained vampire well, torture. Just picks it up. <laughs> Osmosis. Nope. He, you see, again, I'm slightly disappointed at the way Reese's character has been written this series because he did become far more proactive in Children of Earth. And he had mm-hmm. more to do, and he was. You got the impression he'd taken the same journey, or same emotional journey as Gwen, and that he'd mm. started out as a civilian, a normal person with a normal life, and had been thrown into exceptional circumstances and had faced up to them and overcome them mm-hmm. and was now stronger um, and more determined and more focused as a result. And you got that impression in the very first episode of this series where they're both um, they're, they're both getting the guns out of the cupboard and they're ready to yeah. defend the house and they're not sure who's come to the door and he's willing to defend his daughter. And now he's just sort of become the cheeky chappy who drives the truck again yeah. who's there Bumbling. as a slightly comic sidekick to Gwen. Yeah. It feels like a bit of a regression, which is a shame. Well, this is kind of interesting that the janitorial staff is more sympathetic than the doctors yes. are. The highly sinister-looking janitorial staff. Yeah, <laughs> she's the most evil-looking character in the entire episode, and the nicest. Yeah. <laughs> that angry bureaucrat scene. Bureaucrat sequel bad. Oh yes, yeah. he's wearing a tie. Can't you tell? <laughs> My question is, what is he doing out at that time of night? 
Yes. In, in a field by himself. <laughs> <laughs> this man obviously, you know, doesn't clock off ever. He just keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's odd too because isn't the army is kind of running this? We get the feeling. Bureau bot. Yeah. yeah. I do think that Reese spent a little too long uh, sort of acquiescing to this bureaucrat mm. when he knows that his father-in-law is going to be put into an oven when he's yeah. alive and that his wife, you know, who works for Torchwood, the last hope of mankind, <laughs> is <laughs> still... The sort of, best hope. <laughs> yeah, he's still nominally undercover in the middle of an enemy base. And he's sort of yeah. sitting and chatting and arguing about when he's supposed to go and pick these people up. Well, it does give Gwen an opportunity to yell at him. Mm. <laughs> yes. I do like how the British canvas much better color-coordinated than the American yeah. one. <laughs> we, we found whole color banging from somewhere. No pegs for us. <laughs> and no one notices. Oh, yeah. and she crashes into a door. last gap is... You know, way big enough for you to get him through there. Come on. It's <laughs> just not true. Come on, Brian. Oh, awkward tension. Do you think that they picked a particularly evil looking cleaner just for that moment of tension there where you're not sure if she's yeah. going to raise the alarm or not? I'm sure. Oh, she looks nice. Yeah. She seems to know what's going on more than the doctors do. Yeah. Still not sure how they actually hoist him into the truck. No, they just kind of like toss him in there. Seriously, big drive. He had a heart attack climbing into the cab. How is he going to fit? Getting stuck up there. (laughs) Desperate times, desperate measures. Yep. Not angry beer cap with army men. He also seems to forgotten to put the back up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure it's up in the scene where we see him crashing through the gate. That would be sort of the ultimate Austin Powers-style <laughs> comedy moment. <laughs> he drives away and realises that the gurney just sort of slips out of the back. <laughs> leaves the father exactly where they picked him up. Why aren't you firing sooner? This is definitely the most action-oriented scene for Reese ever. <laughs> and here he goes, go Reese! Very reminiscent of Yanto breaking oh, through yeah. the gates oh, yeah. of the Children of Earth in the fall of truck. <laughs> Not nearly as good looking. No. What, we saw the um, truck? <laughs> <I can't Close>. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> that, was, that was a nice big yellow caterpillar forklift thing. Okay, I don't really understand why she has to show him this with the contacts. I guess they're taping it. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Mm. I figured it out. Just for effect, I suppose. Yeah, Jack's back to being a um, secretary here at Torchwood semi-headquarters. Is Torchwood just googling blessing to see yes, what comes up? they are. Wow. Best, best of luck with that. <laughs> well, they've got Torchwood alien tech to scan uh, for patterns. Okay. Yeah. yeah, special alien Google. Now there's a crack in the mirror here mm. in these scenes. Yeah. When we see her f- image 
on the project screen there. Oh, there's no a crack. crack. Oh, must be crack of it being software as well. Mm. Yeah, it's liberating software. Now, where does she get all the leather gear from? Does she bring a change of clothes with her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she would look nearly so badass in the uh, medical... But seriously, I know. And why? And I know it's. We're told it's a former army base, but now it's just effectively a hospital. <laughs> why are there boxes full of sentinels lying around? <laughs> Unguarded. Completely forgiven by the explosion. Oh no! I didn't like this scene. Oh, uh, I did. It's, it's no, fun. The blowing up the ovens—that's fine. It's all the posing and the. <laughs> I like her her, her, like, little action figure thing. I think that's great. Yeah. If you're going to blow stuff up, have a sense of style about it. Oh, I know, but... Still. (laughs) Waiting all this time for Gwen to be an action figure. Made Jack happy. <laughs> oh, Mission Impossible! Yeah, it is a good moment for Gwen, and yeah. just just in terms of the saying no. Yeah. She, she obviously manages to leave the uh, the compound without being shot at by the guards on the gate. Well, Bruce already tore down the gate. Yes, but the guards are still there, presumably. I guess. And if there's only sense of double the guard in the big gaping hole in the fence, <laughs> <laughs> perhaps they've all run off to investigate the explosion. Yeah, that's, that's true. Right. That would be it. Wondering where their motorcycle and sentex went. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps we should have locked those away. <laughs> Speaking of uh, continuity, um, the uh, mascara here is obviously a bit of a continuity nightmare, changing between each oh, shot. Yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah. But then at least they're not afraid to have a look a mess. Yeah, which is that's good. good. Yeah, very untypical for American television. That. Uh, and you see, this this is what we were mentioning earlier. She's now worrying that uh, the people running the camp have her name. <laughs> well, you've only got yourself to blame, Esther. Really? Well, it, frustrating. I, I think it's um, she's worried about being associated with. The ovens and stuff. It's yeah, only now that okay. she she knows what exactly is uh, going on. I might mis- mis- yeah, I misread what she was saying. That's true. Okay. Next time, waterproof mascara, honey. Not See, they obviously managed to. Oh no, they they had help escaping, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So they've so now leaked the news. To things become whistleblowers. <laughs> Now, that raises a question, because yeah. Gwen and I were asking ourselves this earlier on as well. Very odd. Um, they've presumably handed over Rex's tape mm. to a couple of newsrooms. With Rex's face yeah, and Rex's name. Yeah, Rex's face and name, and the fact that he's associated himself openly with Torchwood. Mm. Because yeah. they, yeah. the newsrooms clearly know that Vera Juarez has been murdered, and they're talking mm. about investigating that, and they've got all the rest of the footage. Mm-hmm. So they know that Torchwood... They know that Rex is ex-CIA, they know that he's tortured, they know his name, they know it's where he's been. Awful mm. for their, you know, semi-autonomous status yeah. as a secret agency. Right. Um, and yet they're clearly still hiding out in the same house, yeah. which is within range. Yeah. 
Well, the, we we, we don't know. They could have edited out Rex's to camera stuff to make it more anonymous. Yeah. But yeah, they they don't seem to. They do. They don't seem to be terribly security conscious. And again, here <laughs> with Gwen just waltzing back across yeah. the Atlantic, mm. and just I'd be a bit more cautious before answering the phone if I had a random announcement. Yes, yeah. if, if you're presumably she's still travelling under her suit. Yeah. yeah, but I, I don't know. I was saying earlier it could be that she thought it was Jack. Mm. You know, who else would do that? Although this is kind of creepy. Also very X-Files. Yes. Telephone yeah. call, one word. Mm. It's like those early Deep Throat episodes. Yeah. Cigarette man. Yeah. And here we have another cliffhanger. Yeah. I mean... To be fair, I think given their um, lack of secrecy, they had this coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although now we're really, especially people who watch Torchwood, I mean, the conclusion has to be aliens, because who else has this kind of technology to hack into mm. the contact technology? But not her father. Not her father. And then she left him in the back of the truck. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, he did fall off the back. Uh, do we, do we think this cliffhanger is effective in this revelation that her family's been kidnapped? Yeah. Um, I, I think it. Uh, yes, partly. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not convinced by the next type trailer. Cause I, I think they give away too much. Yeah. They seem to resolve the cliffhanger almost straight away. Don't they? Yeah. Because I think... Um, yeah. Obviously, Gwen would be desperate to defend her family. Mm-hmm. But I just think she'd have a bit more sense and go, oh, all right, then I'll hand over Jack to them. I think it, um, she'd be much more likely to be, right, Jack will have to make a play yeah. of uh, give, handing you over to them, but let's mm-hmm. come up with some some plan to uh, backup plan to sort all this out. Yeah. Well, we don't really know that from the trailer, what's going yeah. on. I think Gwen, Gwen has been really frustrated with Jack from the beginning about, you know, is there something you're not telling me? Because mm. on the plane, I think they have that conversation yeah. mm. as well. Right. So I think maybe that's kind of a, this is kind of leaning up to that, you know, what is your past? Yeah. It also seems, it also undermines that entire rescue mission to go and save her <laughs> father. It basically makes the, the last two episodes worth of her storyline null and void. So mm. you've, you've just yeah. gone over there, you've infiltrated the camp, you've saved your father, you've blown it up, you've escaped <laughs> by the skin of your teeth. And I know, as Katie was saying earlier, the similar in um, terms to Rex's attempt to escape <laughs> the camp by disguising himself as a soldier, and he has this plan, and then he walks in and mm. is just immediately captured. That's fine, but there's no reason why... This couldn't have happened. She, her, her entire family couldn't have been kidnapped weeks ago. Oh, yeah, it's just happening now for, for reasons of plot, which is uh, disappointing. But we'll see how they resolve it. Yeah, and it looks like we might finally time. get our first look at Aliens next week. Yep. 
know it's coming. Yeah, it does look like we'll be digging into Jack's past, so mm. uh, intriguing. Let's yes. see what what he's been up to. And again, coming back to the whole thing in uh, Children of Earth, where Jack's past was coming back yeah. to haunt him. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what angle they take on it this time. Uh, do you think we could actually get an episode that's almost entirely a period piece with Jack in the past? And... That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like Ellis Island yeah. in the previews. So. New York. Yeah. Interesting. We shall see what happens. Yep. Good build up. Yeah, so so yeah, I, I think it's it's a good episode overall. I think the longer trailers that obviously put in to pad out the length to the UK <laughs> for the UK hour long mm. slot um do give a bit too much away. Yeah. Um but uh, We'll uh, forgive them. Yeah. Just this once. It will be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yes, come on, give us the aliens. <laughs> <laughs> they look, I know we only got a glimpse of them there, but they do look suspiciously like the Goa'uld worms from Stargate. Don't know now. We'll see. If, if that was, I thought that was a snake, but it's I okay. didn't get a good look at it. No, it had like a large open mouth with two like hooks. Actually, it kind of reminded me of uh, the worms from Dune. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. say. Or the alien predator hybrid chestburster from. Alien versus Prince. <laughs> <laughs> Good and creepy, though. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll be back. Well, we'll see what happens next week. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. Things are getting a bit busy with Doctor Who returning and various real-life pressures, such as my dissertation. So we'll see how much Torchwood coverage we manage to uh, squeeze in. Mm. Uh, we won't necessarily do commentaries on all the remaining episodes but uh, we'll try to get a bit of discussion and continue the reviews and stuff yeah. and there, there will be something for each episode yes. and we'll certainly make sure we discuss the ending and series as a whole uh, in depth so and james willis will still be doing his reviews week by week so yeah so keep listening and stay tuned to the blog uh, thanks for listening bye bye you You've been listening to The Impossible Podcast. For more Doctor Who commentaries, plus other science fiction and fantasy reviews and discussions, please visit our website, impossiblepodcasts.blogspot.com, or search for us on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or email us via impossiblepodcasts at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Impossible.